Good morning, everyone. Fantastic. Let's give our volunteers a round of applause. They've been here since half past six. And uh, thank you guys for your serving and the welcoming team and the coffee team and the band, including myself. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> and there's going to get some lights there, Devin. Thank you. Hello, everyone. Okay. Can we pray quickly? I'm going to pray before we, before we start. Father, thank you for this amazing morning. Thank you that you are here with us. Thank you that you are good. Thank you that we do not have to fear anything as long as we are with you. I pray that your, your word will be spoken through me. I pray that your people will be blessed by the power of the gospel. Amen. Fantastic. So uh, we are, we're going to be wrapping up the, the wealth series. Um, oh, cameras are weird. Anyway, I like you, Etienne. <laughs> Uh, we've been talking about wealth this month, and uh, money is one of those strange things, right? We, we know that Jesus talks about it, but as churches, we get a little bit nervous talking about money. Uh, it, it gets a bit of a bad rap. We've all heard stories about the pastor running away with the money um, and, and things like that. Uh, I've heard my fair share. If you've been around churches for long enough, you know that uh, Churches and money don't always have the best track record. Um, but Jesus spoke about money. He used money as an analogy because it's a very powerful analogy because nothing talks like money, right? You want to know what you believe? Look at how you spend your cash. Um, and that's, that's it's, it's, it's something that is tangible and can be counted. It's an incredibly good indicator. So we have to talk about it. Um, but I thought... Something that I think would help, and just to, to clear the air, I wanted to talk about the, the prosperity gospel. We all heard of the prosperity gospel. Where does it go wrong, and um, how does it compare to God's gospel? And I thought it, it would be a great place to start off with, mostly because um, I'm actually going to bet that some of it's um, although you've probably heard of the prosperity gospel and you don't like the prosperity gospel, and I'm, I'm going to take a stab in the dark that I, I think there's actually some of their um, tenets, if you can call it that, that you might actually encompass in your own life, and uh, we, we're going to see if we can identify those and root them out. So the, the tricky part about the prosperity gospel is that it's not an outright like opposite doctrine to the gospel. It's one of those lies that is very subtle in the sense that it's built on truth, right? There are parts of it which are true, and it's just that 5%, 10%, which is not true, that makes it very dangerous. So, I mean, it's not, it's not like an anti-truth in the sense that you know, if I came and said to you that uh, Jesus is not the way, then you're going to go, oh, that's obviously a lie because that's counter to what the Bible says. It builds on truth um, that we find in the Bible because we know that God blesses his people. We've all read those passages in Malachi where God says, hey, test me in this. If you tithe, I will bless you and your bonds will overflow 
And uh, so we've all heard those, those scriptures and the prosperity gospel tends to build on that, that it's, it is, there's something of God's people and His blessing. And it's a little bit confusing because sometimes, um, for instance, in Proverbs, you know, um, we, we hear about how God blesses the righteous and the unrighteous. But then in Malachi, we hear that God blesses His righteous people, right? And then you're like, okay, well, which one is it, right? And then we hear that, okay, well, you know, like, like it says in, in, in the story of Cain and Abel, which I read two weeks ago, you know, God says to Cain, if you, if you do well, it will go well with you, and if you do badly, it will go badly. But but then we all have had an experience where it seems like we're trying to do our best. We're, we're putting in, we're going to church, we're praying, we're, we're reading our Bible, and it still seems to go wrong. Ever had that kind of experience? Right? What's going on? And um, the prosperity gospel's answer to this is, well, you're not... You're not doing your bit. You've, you've done something wrong. Okay, so one, one, of the, one of the main tenets that the prosperity gospel is built on is that God's blessing is directly proportional to your material wealth. Okay, so Henry, he's, he owns his own house and he drives his own car. Wow, he's very blessed. Right, he's got something right. Yeah, he plays the guitar. He's got a lot of skill. Clearly, Henry must be a child of God. But you see that guy over there, he's slaving away. Um, he doesn't have a lot. Oh, no, he's not as blessed as Henry, okay? And as I'm saying this, you, you should be thinking, oh, yeah, well, that's obviously wrong, okay? And sure, that's, that's one of... And uh, number two, that's directly... They, they're kind of linked... But as, the, as you, one, another thing that they'll say is that as you pursue God, the more you pursue God, the more you will prosper. And just to be clear, they, they will tell you that it's prospering in the physical with wealth, okay? So it's not, it's not just that they're prospering, say, emotionally or spiritually, it's that they prosper specifically, physically, and the lack of material wealth means that you have missed something, okay? So, in other words, money becomes an indicator of how well you are doing spiritually. More money, you're doing well. Less money, you're doing badly, okay? So, I'm not saying this is the truth, just to be clear. Okay, I don't want any comments afterwards. I'm not saying this is the truth. I'm saying this is what the <laughs> prosperity gospel <laughs> claims is true. Uh, but then, like I said at the beginning, one of the problems that the, the average Christian will run into is disappointment, right? Things don't always go as planned. Sometimes the pawpaw hits the fan, okay? So maybe, you're, maybe you can relate to this. When I got saved, right, everything's amazing. Everything's going well. I'm following Jesus. I had this radical encounter with Jesus. My whole life changes. I leave certain addictions behind. I'm running forward for Jesus. And um, 
Before I met Jesus, I was like failing exams. After I met Jesus, six months later, I'm still failing exams. <laughs> right? Uh, I mean, it's funny to think, but I remember six months after I'd met Jesus, like, you must understand, like, I had a radical encounter with Jesus, went bonkers crazy. So I convinced myself, it's funny, it's funny thinking about this now. Sometimes I'm even embarrassed to say that I thought like this, but I'll tell you guys. So I had convinced myself that I don't need to study for exams because, you see, I've got the Holy Spirit, and when I sit down at the exam, I'm gonna, the information is going to download into my head, and I'll just be able to write the exam and guess how far I got with that theory. <laughs> yeah, not very far. <laughs> Right? There's, there's something that requires hard work that is intrinsically linked to the gospel. You see, something that I've, I've come to realize is, you know, and this, this, this I just, it just kind of occurred to me when I was preparing for this sermon in the last month. You know, Jesus says to his disciples, um, you know, you've, that you've got to pick up your cross and follow me. You've got to suffer. We've all heard of the link between suffering and the gospel, right? And you, want to, you want to follow Jesus, you've got to suffer. And I'm thinking, but hang on. It's not like people weren't suffering before Jesus pitched up, right? I mean, Jesus, he arrives in Israel. I mean, you, you've got to understand so Israel is under Roman occupation. It's 2,000 years ago. Okay, any, any opposition towards you oppose the Roman Empire, they saw me crucify you, stick you on the side of the road. You walked towards Jerusalem, and along the road, you'd have uh, people lined up on crucifixes as you entered into Jerusalem. Right? It's not like people weren't suffering. Okay, it's not like Christians are the only people that suffer, right? You, you, you go to India, you look at how people are caught up in, in work cycles there. They have to work. They base, it's basically just slavery, if we can just be honest. It's not like people aren't suffering. It's not, it's not only the Christians that are suffering. You with me? It's not what makes us unique is that we suffer. The, the difference between the, the Christian walk and, and going your own way is that your suffering takes on meaning and it takes on purpose, right? And that's, and that's kind of what I want to talk about today. So, and this is where the prosperity gospel kind of skews things is because ultimately it's rooted in a, in a belief system that when you become a Christian, you're not going to suffer. Everything's going to be going just hunky-dory for you. And if it's not, you've done something wrong. The Christian understands that nothing changes. The world is broken. But now our suffering takes on meaning. Okay? It's, it's either you are dragged to the cross or you willfully, purposefully, choose to embrace your cross and pick it up. That's the difference. But one way or another, we all know that everybody sitting here is going to die. Okay, do you know that? 
okay? Your life is, is finite. It will end. And you will be either taken to that moment, dragging, screaming, kicking against, or there's, for the Christian, he embraces the cross. In other words, and what does the cross, what does it mean? How does that end? When you pick up your cross, follow Jesus, you know, like, yay, we're Christians now. No, what, what happens at the end of that journey? <laughs> you die, <laughs> right? That's the purpose of picking up your cross. But we do so with purpose. Okay, so let's open up our Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. I'm going to read from verse 19. This is a, a portion out of uh, Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount. And, uh, and he talks about many things in this sermon. But in this particular uh, passage that we're going to read, he talks about wealth. Okay, I'm going to read from the New King James if you want to follow. Otherwise, um, okay, so Matthew chapter 6 from verse 19. Let's go. Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness." If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add a cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, and yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the, the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For after all these things the, the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Okay. I love how it ends. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. God does not say, do not worry. Right? We always like to say, God says, do not worry. Um, because he's going to take care of it. No, no, he says, no, no, do not worry about tomorrow. Today's got its own trouble. <laughs> there is trouble today. There are things that we've got to do. Even right now, maybe if you're sitting there, you're probably thinking... Okay, well, he's, how long is he going to preach so, gotta, you know, so I can go home and sort this out and this out? And next, I've got to sort out uniforms for the kids next year. And my kid won't stop growing, so I need new shoes once again. 
and uh, he's outgrown his bicycle. Maybe I need to get on the bicycle. My mother-in-law's coming, so I need to prepare myself mentally for the holidays. Because, um, you know, one day with my mother-in-law was like a thousand days other, elsewhere. Um, <laughs> yeah, lol. Um, right? So today does have trouble. And, and this is the difference when we're talking about Christianity versus other belief systems, is every other belief system is attempting to get enlightenment, peace, everlasting life, etc., etc. So, for instance, Islam, they, and uh, this isn't speaking badly of them, this is what they literally believe. They literally believe that there are two angels that follow every single person. Okay, so there's two angels following Henry, this is what they believe, this is not what I'm saying is true, and the one angel records all the bad things that Henry does, and the other angel records all the good things that Henry does, okay? And one day when Henry dies, he's going to be placed in front of God, in front of Allah, and then the angels are going to come and put all the stuff, all the good stuff and the bad stuff on a scale, and depending on how it goes, you know, you're either going to go to heaven or to hell. And so, for the Muslim, they spend their entire lives trying to tip the scales, so to speak, in their favor, right? Do these good things, do this, uh, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but Islam, if you know anything about it, comes out of, comes out of um, Judaism, branched out of Judaism a couple of thousand years ago. And uh, unfortunately for them, there, the, there's nothing good that they can do that will outweigh the bad. Right? They, they're fighting losers. This is a works-based faith. Okay? If you do enough, you're going to get enough. For the Christian, we understand that when Jesus comes and saves you, the day that he saves you, not the day that he dies, the day that you choose to follow Jesus, accept Jesus Christ, so the day that Henry gave his life to Jesus, on that day, he said... Father, I'm sorry for what I've done. Please forgive me. Jesus is like, sure, no worries. Okay, cool. Um, and Henry, you know what? I'm also going to give you everlasting life. I'm going to give you everything that pertains to life and life in abundance. You're going to be a conqueror, more than a conqueror. And to top it all off, you get adopted into a family. Now you're my son. Sure. Uh, this seems like a sweet deal, right? Seems like pretty good news. This is good news. Okay, everything that you, that the average human has been going for all, everything that has been written about in poems and songs and movies and books, the, the trying to seek the essence of life, the pinnacle of life, the Christian receives on the day that he accepts Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. There is now nothing more that Henry has to strive for. Nothing, okay? And what it says here in Matthew 6, this is very interesting, okay? He says that the lilies of the field, they neither toil nor spin. In other words, they do not work, and yet the Father takes care of them. So technically speaking, I'm not saying that Henry should do this. Technically speaking, Henry can go sit on his butt for the rest of his life, do nothing, and he's okay. Technically speaking, okay? Don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm going to qualify what I'm saying just now. 
Okay? So, but there's nothing more that Henry will ever have to do in his life ever again to obtain enlightenment, everlasting life, and joy in the Holy Spirit, to live with Jesus forever and ever. Nothing. But we get into this mentality where I've got to do stuff now, okay? And maybe you're thinking, okay, but what does this have to do with the prosperity gospel? So I'm not necessarily saying that you are proponents of the prosperity gospel, but that thinking comes into place, okay? You ever, you ever thought like this? Uh, you know, I've just I've been attacked so many times this week. What have I done wrong? Right? Where have I gone wrong? What are the open doors in my life? I've clearly done something wrong. That's why things are going wrong in my life. Ever thought something like that? Right? What are you saying? Oh, the death of Jesus wasn't enough to cover over my sin, and now there are holes. Okay? Why are you going through a bad time? Well, because Jesus never said that trouble is not going to be with you, that suffering is going to go away. Okay? But for the Christian, we embrace that. Why am I going through a bad time? So that through my response, I can glorify my Father in heaven. That is the Christian's response. Right? Or maybe you've thought something along those lines. Okay? Um, you know, when God opens, a, when door, God closes one door, He opens another. Right? Uh, we, we, live the, we live a life based on open and closed doors. Okay, but let me tell you, sin often lo looks like an open door, right? It's easy to sin. <laughs> You're looking for, you, you, you want to do pornography, you can literally open up your phone now, click on a website. If that's not an open door, I don't know what is, right? It's easy. But there are moments that require obedience, and it looks like a closed door, and we give up so easy. Because the opportunities are there. It looks closed. The Christian does not live on open and closed doors. The Christian lives by obedience. Sometimes there are doors that you shouldn't be going through and they're wide open. Sometimes there are doors that are closed and through intercession and prayer, you need to go kick them down. Right? Talk to anybody that started a business. Okay? It doesn't always look like open doors. Talk to anybody that's discipled somebody, right? It doesn't always look like open doors. Sometimes it requires you to be innocent as a dove and sly as a fox. We've got to move. Jesus, what are you doing? But we live a life based on what is our circumstances dictate. So the Christian lives from the inside out. In other words, the inside, my spirit has been redeemed by Jesus. I am a son of God. How does that affect my circumstances? The non-Christian or even proponents of the prosperity gospel, I won't necessarily say they're non-Christian. That's for Jesus to decide. They say, well, whatever's going on in my circumstances around me, that dictates my identity. Right? But we've got to get to the point where what it says in the Word, that's what, I, that's what I do, okay? If the Word of God says that it is 
wrong to kill an unborn baby, no matter how many open doors there are for that, it is wrong. Are you with me? Then it's murder. And I don't care how many open doors and how easy it is to go do it. Okay? That does not mean that it's right. It means that it is wrong. Okay? And we need to go, okay, well, the world goes through the big highway. We need to look for the narrow road. The world goes through the big door. We need to go through the small door. And that's often where the Word of God is going to take you. You are going to get into trouble. Sufficient for today is its own trouble. Right? But does that mean that God does not care for you? Because obviously, and this is where it gets a bit confusing for a lot of people, is, so Luke, that all sounds good, but I still need to put food on the table for my family. (laughs) Right? Doesn't mean, and once again, so it doesn't mean that you can just go, sit on your butt and do nothing. And so we still trust God for provision. The difference is that provision does not inform my identity in Christ. Whether I have a lot or whether I have little, I know that my place with Jesus is secure and fast. Does that make sense? Okay. Because that's, that's essentially what the prosperity gospel is saying is that if you have more, you're shop with Jesus. If you have little, you've done something wrong. The Christian understands that my circumstances does not dictate what goes on inside. So that means, for instance, so I wanted to go to Mozambique a couple of years ago. I led my first mission team to Mozambique. It was a fantastic time. So I don't have money. So that's one closed door. Okay, so, but I feel that God's saying, go to the nations. Okay, fantastic. So we start praying. Okay, money pitches in. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Money arrives, provision. Then, uh, so we rented a combi. And the guy that we rented it from, he came to me and said, oh, Luke, I made a mistake. I mixed up the dates for your permit to take the car out of the country. Oh, shucks. So, in other words, we, we would have, he mixed our dates up with another team, so it was, it was fine if we went there, because on the, on the date back, we would have been in the permit period, but us going into the country, we were seven days early before the permit began. We wouldn't have been able to take the car into the country for another week. The problem is with students, we don't have another week to wait Classes are going to begin in two weeks. This, and I found this out the day before we were going to leave. Right? So I get the team together. I tell them the situation. I say, either we do a week-long mission. It's going to take us two days to get there, two days to get back. Okay? So we're basically having a three-day mission in Mozambique. Or we go serve another church. Or we go to the border right now and we see what happens. So we prayed about it. And we as a team, we made a decision. We said, we felt that God said we must go. We prayed about the dates. The dates are right. We need to go. We're going to pitch up at the border. We're going to try to get in the country without the permit. So pitch up the trailer the next day. All get in the car. Two days later, we're at the border. Okay? And now I've been through Mozambique a few times. So I know if you know anything about the borders, the first gate that you go through 
at the border post, that's where they check the permits for your, for your vehicle. Okay? So we get to the permits. All the gates are open. Everything's empty. I'm like, okay, cool. Where, is, where are the permit checkers? There's nobody there. We drive in. I park the car. I go to a security guard. I say, um, where are all the permit people? Like, we need to check our permits. So he says, uh, I don't know what happened, but the entire office didn't pitch up to work today. We don't know where they are. So I said, who's going to check my permits? He says, no, it's fine. You guys can go. <laughs> right? Sometimes there are closed doors that God is going to force open and we give up so easily. Like, some of us are wondering, why don't I see the miraculous in my life? Let me tell you, the miraculous often looks like a closed door. My friend is sick. That, that's a closed door. It's a closed door to health. Okay? And I say this with, with respect. Obviously, people go through different circumstances. Sometimes it's a door that needs to be kicked down. And he says, he says to his disciples, now he's talking about financing, not necessarily health. But he says to his disciples, oh, you of little faith, why are you worrying? Don't you get it now? I've been with you for three years. Why, why are you still worrying? You saw me take care of that storm. That storm was a closed door. Jesus needs to get from one side to the other. That, that's as close the door as it gets. Right? But he's there in the lake with them. So we've got to understand that first and foremost, we are stewards. Let's go to Matthew um, 25. Just check the time. I've got to finish up. Um, I think for the sake of time, I'm actually going to skip this next part. Let's go to Matthew 14 instead. So the world works like this. Okay, the world's economy looks like this. I don't have something. How do I get it? Okay, and it's not necessarily a bad way of thinking, especially when you want to solve a problem. But the world's economy starts from a place of lack. I don't have this. How do I get it? Whereas the kingdom's economy, Matthew 14, verse 13 to um, 21, goes something along like this. Um, says, going to, going to the city, um, wait, hang on, did I get this right? I think I wrote down, oh, I'm in Mark, <laughs> no wonder, sorry, my bad. Um, 13, okay, when Jesus heard it, he departed there by boat to desert place by himself. When the multitudes heard it, they followed him on foot from the cities. And when Jesus went out, he saw a great multitude, and he was moved with compassion for them and healed their sick. When it was evening, his disciples came to him saying, This is a deserted place, and the hour is already late. Send the multitudes away, that they may go into the villages and buy themselves food. But Jesus said to them, They do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. And they said to him, We have here only five loaves and two fishes. He said, Bring them here to me. Then he commanded the multitudes to sit down on the grass. And he took the five loaves and two fishes, and looking up to heaven, he blessed and broke and gave the loaves to the disciples, and the disciples gave to the multitudes. 
So they all ate and were filled, and they took up 12 baskets full of fragments that remained. Okay, so the world's economy says, I don't have X, how do I get it? And Jesus, Jesus says to his disciples, you give them what you have. What do I have? Often what I have is just five loaves and two fishes, right? I, I love, you guys ever spend time with uh, Walter? He's now in the States, part of work for a living. So I remember I said, hey, you know, Walter, I want to start a business. How do I get X amount of money? He says, no, no, no don't worry about that. How do you, what do you have in your house? So it's, is Luke, do you have an oven? He's like, yeah. It's like, great. Now you have a baking business, right? Do you have a coffee machine? Yes. Okay. Now you have a coffee business. Do you have a wash? Do you have a, a washing machine? Yes. Now you have a laundry business. See, when we try and think of, I want X, Y, and Z. How do I get it? Jesus says, Well, what do you have? Right, because if he's the giver of good gifts, and if he's give, if he's given everything that pertains to life and life and abundance, then what you have now is enough. As you sit here, it is enough. It might require that you need to get crafty with it. People often say, "What's my purpose? Where do I go? Well, where are you?" Where are you now? What are you doing now? What do you have now? It's a pretty good place to start. Angus Buchan, he likes to say that the people praying about God's will are often surpassed by the people doing God's will. Right? We've got to get out of this mentality where one day when I'm a better Christian, one day when I can play the guitar like Henry, one day when I have that guy's money, I can start to serve God. Maybe I'll be enough then. Maybe I'll be good enough. Maybe I'll be worthy enough. Maybe I'll be healthy enough. As you sit here, if you have the Spirit of Christ within you, you have everything that pertains to life and life in abundance. Everything. Okay? You have wealth at your fingertips that you cannot comprehend. The Christian understands that this is not my stuff. This is Jesus' stuff. I'm but a steward. It's not a reflection of me, but it's a reflection of him.